Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mindshifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mindshifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, April 7th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. Go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here, located in the upper left-hand corner. It will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation. The primary tool in this work, that tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, as it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they use these tools actively in their lives. And it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. And when you call that number, press 1 on your phone. It will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And 
we greatly appreciate when people do that because it makes it easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be of service. And if you call and let us know how our choice of topics is landing for you or how the worksheets that are done are beneficial as a as a template or a tutorial for you or if you call and let us know how you're struggling to get through a worksheet or understand the worksheet process or have it make a positive impact on your life all of these things make it easier for us to be of service and we greatly appreciate when people do that as of um, this year we are making the commitment to at least make the space available to invite often invite people to do worksheets live or get feedback on worksheets they've done or just report on the progress they're achieving using the worksheet process um, and or doing more worksheets live on the air. I've done quite a few so far this year. And the other thing that's happening is that we've been made aware of this book by Christian Sond Sondberg. Sondberg. And Christian... Um, is writing about his spiritual journey and his revelations that he feels a, a good amount of them are divinely inspired. And as I listen to his book and read his book, I'm doing both alternately. To my eye and ear, what he's talking about, what he's been shown by his insight, his memories of pre-life experience, etc., is very much in line with everything that we're teaching through the way of mastery last year, the Course in Miracles the year before that, Dr. Michael Rice's work, everything that we present in the Mind Shifters support groups, that happen on Tuesday and Thursday night. Um, from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. That pause was because we did have a support group last night. We had two people plus myself on the call. We do those through Zoom. And we uh, listened to it and watched a, a Guy Finley lecture yesterday where he had um, six of his students prepare a brief talk <clears throat> and get up in front of the, the room and, um, and talk about what they're, they've learned recently or in the Guy Finley talks over the years that they've been listening to him. And, um, as most of us would have how they were able to um, deal with, confront and deal with their anxiety about standing up in front of their peers and doing public speaking. And so um, we did that and we discussed it 
and um, and that was the summary of last night's group. Um, it, it it left me with a, a very strong gratitude for these tools for the the way these tools resonate with the way my mind works as a very specific step-by-step worksheet process um, that provides for me um, a set of tools that helps me stay on track if I if I as I routinely apply these tools talk about them in the internet show that you're listening to now, talk about them in the support groups, teach them to people in my therapy sessions, use them whenever I interpret life uh, in, a, in a way that leaves me with a negative emotion, that as I use these tools, they provide a specific, verifiable benefit consistently um, in, a, in a way that you know, very few tools I've ever encountered before provide, and none of the tools that I've learned that I can do for myself provide this very clear, very specific benefit. So um, while we uh, frequently get a lot out of a Guy Finley talk, the, the tools of the Reality Management Worksheet the targeted journaling that Michael calls the mind shifter, the breath work that he calls a still point breathing, the responsibility communication tool, the three early memories of conflict tool. These very specific tools have um, been far more beneficial to me than anything I've gotten from any other teacher, with the possible exception of uh, Diedrich Wolzak's six-step worksheet process, which to my eye and ear is almost exactly the same as Dr. Rice's, and um, Byron Katie's worksheet process, which has me question everything very much the same way as I question everything my mind is telling me in the reality management worksheet and it has to be shown something else. So the, my brain works better with these specific tools and these specific steps to take whenever I'm aware of an energy that I don't prefer. And so um, while the, the reading, the listening to and reading that I've been doing with uh, Christian Sundberg's work is a reinforcement for all of the same observations. Um, Very much like Guy Finley's work, it doesn't provide the same specific step-by-step process that the Reality Management Worksheet does. So, We read from these books because it has us focusing on and hopefully 
inviting us to question for ourselves our purpose here, um, that function, how we function, how we create our experience of life, um, question how to see ourselves as active participants in the creation of experience of life itself. And so, you know, we're using words that just point at experiences that go beyond words, each new heartbeat, and so the words are not nearly as important as the experience we can usher ourselves into. You know, I frequently have people send me things where someone is talking about the soul or your experience, or I had one of my patients recently... Um, trying to find the the text here, um, and he said uh, he sent me a picture of a book by Sadguru, S A D H G U R U, and the title of the book is Inner Engineering: A Yogi's Guide to Joy. And the patient wrote, "I didn't know you wrote a book." Ha ha ha. And then in the next session, the patient clarified that as the patient is listening to this book, they're hearing everything we talk about in our sessions. And to the point where the patient literally thought, I should sue this guy for plagiarism. And whenever that happens, I just point out to people that none of us have created this stuff. All of us who are on the planet today, who are in a body, who are talking about philosophizing, um, learning spiritually and growing, we're all reading some of the same source material, which has come from generation upon generation upon generation prior to us ever taking form in the physical and the more they do excavation of archaeological sites the more they're discovering many many thousands of years before 5,000 years ago some of our mainstream science today says that 5,000 years ago, the cradle of civilization was in, you know, South Africa or whatever. And uh, that's prior to that, we all lived in these very primitive forms without knowledge of science and music and art and all of that. And it's just getting destroyed. It's getting blown out of the water because they found a cave... um, I believe it was in France, that's 30,000 years old, that has phenomenally advanced cave paintings, 
30,000 years. And they have found city structures that go back many thousands of years beyond the 5,000-year period. So the best they can determine now is that there have been many levels of human growth and sophistication and civilization, and then those civilizations have collapsed for one reason or another. But we aren't, my father was fond of saying, there's nothing new under the sun. So when you hear something from a spiritual teacher that sounds exactly like another spiritual teacher, chances are that teacher didn't steal it from the other teacher chances are they were both accessing the same source material or they both did their own individual meditation and asked for divine guidance and they both received guidance from a a non-physical source that was similar. And I've, I've mentioned it several times as I was reading this book even yesterday, um, the Christian Sonberg book, um, that this paragraph is almost exactly like what we listened to on Tuesday with Abraham Hicks. Well, I have no idea if Christian Sundberg has ever listened to Abraham Hicks. And yet, the core material sounds exactly like what Abraham Hicks talks about, and it's almost exactly like what James Allen wrote in his book, As a Man Thinketh from the early 19th century or early 20th century in the early 1900s. So please understand the reason for doing this, reading these books, presenting this, discussing it, doing commentary about it, is um, that the, the primary reason for doing it is because nobody's raising hand and saying, hey, I've, I'm stuck and I need help with a, a worksheet because that would take top priority in this Internet show. Beyond that, the reason for doing it is to give us a chance to question for ourselves how we create our experience of life and to understand basic mechanics of how our thoughts are a creative energy, a creative force in our life. And how so much of what we've been taught by our culture about being a victim and how other people have hurt us and how there's evil in the world and everything is good versus evil. There's so much of that uh, motif. um, That's not the right word. There's so much of that theory in life, in our religions, and in our books and movies and theaters, it's good versus evil. You know, the Zoroastrian religion defines everything as this battle between good and evil. That's what I'm told. Well, they're not the only ones. So the Catholic Roman Catholic religion that I was raised in talks about you know, the devil and temptation and God and the choirs of angels and and the battle that went on for heaven and how the one bad angel was thrown down and now there's this place called hell with fire and brimstone and we could burn there forever if we die without you know, making it right with God before we die and asking for forgiveness. 
please use all of these discussions and everything we present in terms of books we're reading and the commentary we're doing and the use of the worksheet process itself. Use it as a way to open up any old conclusions like that that you have or that have been programmed into you and bring them to the surface of your conscious awareness to be questioned anew, to be pulled apart and examined in your own life experience from a new perspective, through a new lens. Aside from the conditioning and the beliefs, aside from the conclusions you might have drawn earlier in your life, and by that I mean even last week or or five years ago, One of the things about the human mind is, or the brain, that the human mind uses to um, communicate with others, one of the things we're learning about the brain more and more is that it's got a neuroplasticity, that it keeps on learning, it keeps on growing. Or at least it has the capacity to do that. So... The invitation in this work for each and every one of us is to continue to question, to continue to learn, to continue to grow, to bring every one of our beliefs to the altar to be burned up and picked apart as we learn to live more in direct observation as we learn to free ourselves from the tyranny of belief and conditioning. So please use all of this work in that way to whatever degree you're able to help yourself question how is your life actually unfolding? What role do you play in the way your life unfolds. There's one of the segments in this book by Christian Sondheim that asks, somebody wrote in and asked a question. I've heard the Rumi quote that says, this is a subtle truth. Whatever you love you are, close quotes. And now the question is, what does that mean? And Christian writes, pick something that you love. Your form is not its form, but your nature is the same as that which you love. That which has been expressed as the wonderful thing you love. I think that the last sentence is the most succinct way to put it. But put it another way. When you look at a thing and love it, the love that is shining forth is really, ultimately, what you are. Take nature, for example. When you see a glorious sunset and love it for its beauty, beauty is your true nature. And you are appreciating 
the deep what is and how it has here expressed itself as a beautiful sunset. You relate to it because it is your true shared nature. That beauty, now expressed, is what you are also. And that's why it feels like love and beauty, because it resonates with what you really are. The form, whether that form be your body or the image of the sunset, is not fundamental. Beingness, existence, the creation, the flow of life as a creative energy, which is full of life and expresses itself in so many wonderful ways, that is what you are. And when you love something else, it's because you're appreciating that same energy, that same vibration of the creative energy expressing in form that is your true nature. I remember one time there was a 17-year-old that called in the show probably only a year or two after we started the Internet show. And she was just so stuck in negative thoughts about herself. And she was pushing back against the statements or observations that we make in this work that your true nature is love etc and um, and as the conversation moved back and forth I was moved to give her the very same instruction that the next time she's out in nature and she sees something that she experiences as beautiful that she should just take a breath and realize she wouldn't be able to see that as beautiful unless beauty was her true nature. It was resonating the essence of which as she's walking in nature, she's getting closer to feeling her own true nature or she wouldn't have that, that feeling because another person could be right beside her and they could be in anger or fear or deep hurt or confusion and look right at the same beautiful sunset or magnificent tree or beautiful flower and not be moved to appreciate the beauty because they would be so focused on the negative aspect of the emotions that they were creating in that moment. I think there was a, a Greg Braden book I read years ago where he was talking about somebody that he worked with and this person kept quote falling in love close quotes multiple times a week he would go out to get lunch for them because they were working at a science lab or whatever and he would come back with a story about how he just fell in love with the, the woman that served up the tacos and after a while, um, Greg Braden tried to help him see um, that this is an unproductive pattern because the, the gentleman was acting on some of these um, passions or obsessions and um, 
so uh, Greg told him, I, um, I want you to just slow down and recognize that when you're attracted to someone outside of you, it's because you're seeing in them your qualities, even though you may be not expressing them in your own life. You're attracted to people certain people we all know the adage beauty is in the eye of the beholder we are attracted to certain people because they are actively expressing parts of us that we're either actively expressing or subduing subverting which is why not everybody is attracted to the same people and the same outward images so we have plenty of time for conversation 563-999-3581 call that number press 1 let us know if you have a question or a comment Here's a question from Christian that reads, is there punishment in the afterlife at all? And Christian replies, or his guides have replied, we are all completely and totally responsible for every single choice, thought, action, and intent. Our past choices, thoughts, actions, and intents can lead us into various experiences whether in this world or in another. And some of those experiences may be extremely painful or dark, but the enduring truth that transcends the entire process is unconditional love. All conditions love. Love that always is, love that's always expanding, love that's always extending and growing, love. And that love is completely and totally accepting and understanding. And as he talked about in one of the other things, I think I was reading it yesterday, anybody who does something that you would say is bad or wrong or harmful is acting from a place in their life where they are not currently aware of their true nature, their ability as the way of mastery would say, their ability to get anything they need or want in life without disrupting or harming anyone else. And one of the things that we know in this work is that we can observe over and over again, if we generate anger and our mind wants to tell us it's about what somebody else has said or done, it's a real good bet that we're only generating that upset because we are still judging ourselves negatively for doing the same or similar thing. And if we can go in, inward, inside, you know, as Jung would say, he who looks within awakens, he who looks without is asleep, 
if we can find the negative judgments we're holding against ourselves for a time in the recent or distant past when we did something similar or thought something similar, and we understand by dismantling it and bringing compassion to it that we did that because we were in pain or fear or sadness or a level of ignorance. We hadn't even been exposed to a range of possibilities that might let us perceive the situation differently. And we have compassion for our younger self, and by younger I mean even if it was two days ago. And as we do that, and breathe and soften and dismantle the negative emotional energy and judgments we're holding against ourselves, which is the process of forgiveness, the dismantling. Dismantling of a perception of negativity. As we do that, and we return to the current situation and breathe and soften and look at the other person that minutes or moments before our mind was telling us was the cause of our upset, all we're going to see is another being of brilliance and light just as we are, who is struggling just as we were, and will have nothing but compassion for that person. Here's a writing that Christian did on the idea of the spiritual path while being human. And he writes, Spirituality is not about believing something or doing something. It's about evolving one's consciousness and the nature of one's being and evolving that towards love. The doing comes after the being. Intention precedes action. Spirituality is about one's relationship to the present moment. As that relationship becomes more genuine and less hampered by fear, one's experience of joy increases and one is able to be of greater service to others. So this line says, spirituality is about one's relationship to the present moment. And as that relationship becomes more genuine and less hampered by fear, one's experience of joy increases and one is able to be of greater service to others. Guy Finley says, one of my favorite lines of his, there is nothing more practical than true spirituality. Spirituality is about finding exactly what is. Spirituality is not primarily a pursuit of any certain form, though we often do benefit from the utilization of forms such as religion and spiritual practices and belief systems, etc. As a temporary structure to move us closer to love or more into the being state of love he goes on and says true accomplishment is not a matter of achieving some physical end 
future accomplishment is the expansion and actualization of love. Now, if you don't like the word love, use the phrase creative energy, source energy, the energy that keeps your heart beating and your breath moving and your food digesting even though you're not putting any conscious awareness into it. It's happening. True accomplishment is not a matter of achieving some physical end, but it's a matter of expanding and actualizing this creative energy that gave rise to you and that wants to express uniquely through you in each new present moment. A spiritual person interacts more successfully with form at whatever level. That is, an evolved individual is generally better able to wield a loving intent within various contexts of form. A a more evolved individual is better able to utilize form for the expression of their deeper nature, which we're, we're saying is love, is the energy of creation, and better able to use form for the betterment of others. An evolved individual's presence tends to be net additive, expansive, beneficial to self and others. He goes on to say, the state of the world is our responsibility, both collectively and individually. Meditation is a process by which the individual may move toward meeting the present moment as it actually exists, unfettered beneath the associations with form. Meditation is a process by which the individual may slow down their thought momentum and do so sufficiently as to be able to experientially know their deeper nature and allow their deeper nature to rise back up to them on its own how do you know what you know well most of us in this human life have been trained to know what we know through our senses Many people have heard about um, a very popular scientist these days, and um, his name will come to me. He's got. He's having a discussion about the monkey mind and the five senses. And these five senses, while they are good at helping us survive in the wild and not get eaten by a lion, etc., they're not so good at helping us contemplate our deeper nature, eternity, spirituality, etc. We can't really intuit the infinitesimal things in a microscope or billions of years 
because our brain, as a sense organ, it can't make sense of it, meaning it can't process the data that's hitting our five senses and come up with an experience of a billion years or a light year. These things are hard for us. They may even be impossible for us. We can't picture a five-dimensional cube or a four-dimensional cube. We can't um, wrap our minds around you know, the true nature of our existence because we're relying on our senses. He goes on to say um, this is the same kind of thing we've talked about. Our eyes only show us a tiny sliver of the spectrum that we call the light spectrum or the electromagnetic spectrum. And so if we only try and talk about what makes sense to us, we're only talking about the things that hit our five senses and that we've learned through programming with our culture and language to interpret in a certain way. So your senses are not the most reliable measure of what's true. And, you know, as he goes on, because he's a scientist, he says the scientific method is better for helping us determine what's true because with the scientific method, I can keep developing tools that can perceive things outside of the range of input that my senses allow. So I can develop devices that can hear or see or register more of the electromagnetic spectrum or the, vibra the vibrational spectrum that we call auditory. But he says, you know, your senses can't integrate, can't take in the energies that the universe is sending to you, trying to talk to you through these various energies beyond the five senses. But the universe is there. It's trying to talk to you. Right? Infrared, ultraviolet, x-rays, gamma rays, gravity. There's all kinds of energies. There's all kinds of insight, intuition, experiences. And there are many people, probably everybody on a call like this, has had a time in their life where they've had an experience of something that just didn't fit within the five senses. It certainly doesn't fit well within the program, thought, and belief system that they were taught in the school system. So when you take a, a word like love or the creative energy expressing in form or all that is and then you say I'm just going to rely on what my five senses can show me about this thing we call love you're so so limited you literally put yourself in a tiny little box Here's a quick essay titled, Love is the Answer. And it reads, The great conscious awareness in which we have our being, that which we often call God, 
that great conscious awareness is also the source of all form. That source is unfathomably loving, expansive, accepting, In the way of mastery, they say, love embraces all things, trusts all things, respects all things, allows all things, and thereby transcends all things. This essay goes on and says, thus, the deepest root of all things, the deepest root of every single thing is love. Now, clearly, not your image of love clearly not the passion you have for a puppy or uh, the the person that you have sexual passion for that's not what we're talking about that wouldn't make any sense whatsoever that the source of every single thing is your passion for your lover it doesn't make sense so please question everything about your definitions and belief about a word like love as it's used in this context. And come back to the beginning of this essay says where it says, the great conscious awareness in which we have our being is love, is that energy. It's the the expansive energy of creation expressing in form. This can sometimes be extremely hard for us to see on earth while our awareness is constrained to the experience of physical reality, in other words, the five senses. And yet, no matter where we are, this energy that some call love is there. It's there and being expressed as us it's there and being expressed as everything we see, hear, feel, sense, taste, touch, etc. When we totally let go of form and when we totally let go of all our interpretations and beliefs, boy, that's a tall order. But we're being invited to totally let go of all form. What does that mean? Michael Rice talks about this endlessly, at least he used two years ago. If you could see the truth of life in front of you, you wouldn't see a body, you wouldn't see a person, you wouldn't see a tree. You'd see a whirling energy field within energy fields within energy fields. Michael says, you know, you'd see whirling protons, electrons, neutrons, etc. But it's literally, it would be vibrations of energy. And form is our interpretation of how those energies register in our senses. And so we're being asked to let go of everything our mind is telling us, everything our brain is showing us in the way of pictures, everything we have learned to believe and interpret it says when we totally let go of form and when we totally let go of all of our interpretations and all of our beliefs 
When we do that, we immediately begin to move away from the confusion of form and toward the constant foundation of love that endures beneath every surface. Love is our source and our nature. Love is the substance from which all experience is built. Love is our challenge, our desire, our unavoidable destination. Love is the answer. As I read that, I thought about the balloon leaf story. Not until I'm willing to step off of my beliefs on to to a land that provides infinite possibilities outside the range of my beliefs, not until I step into that do I open myself to have a different kind of experience. I've read this one before, but it's titled, Reality is an Experience. And it reads, our physical reality is not really a place. It is an experience. Consciousness beholds information and believes that experience to be an objective, material reality because the information is all that the local consciousness currently remembers. And the information occurs in a persistent and a consistent manner. But that information, no matter how consistent, is not fundamental. It occurs primarily as an experience held by consciousness. Consciousness is always present in order for any reality to exist. Your experience, your reality is just an experience. It's not an actual physical place. 760, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. This is Anne. Hello, Anne. So, I'm, hi, I'm listening to that because of my experience, and I like that last, what you just read, the reality thing, and I'm trying to put it into context of sitting in, traffic and a slowdown, a stop and go, mostly stop and very little go on my way back driving from South Carolina the other day. And um, I, I did all kinds of things to keep from looking at the fact that it was taking a very long time, two, set, two times that happened. And just when you think the first one is, behind you, then all of a sudden this other one. So then I started looking at all the things to be grateful for. You know, like this 18-wheeler was able to pull off when he braked onto the median, which thankfully was grassy and he didn't run into anybody and there was other people. This was the second slowdown that I was coming upon. And I didn't think from the last one to look at my GPS to see where the red or the orange was. I just came upon it, but gratefully I was able to get over quickly to another lane. But watching those things happen and no accidents in our group of people anyway. Um, And then I had the slowdown again, and I was able to get back into the left lane, which was great because I could put the window down with no gas and fuel and stuff coming through. But I sat there and 
was just could list so many things to be grateful for. You know, that I had the Cirrus XM and I could, you know, it was on my jazz and that triggers the joy in me and, um, and just looking around and observing other people's vehicles and I'm in an electric car, which is great for me. Um, anyway, I'm not burning any gas and just time after time, you know, and oh, and I'm in the shade because the 18 wheelers are beside me. I just went on and on. It was so great. And when I got home, and it was pretty late because that put me back about an hour and I'd already left later than I had chosen to. And then I go, okay, I'm really tired. I just need to get to bed. But then I was hungry. Okay. But I'm looking and listening to you now, and I, and I find another thing to be grateful for, which is, okay, how am I seeing this as a gift? Because I left late and I could have, you know, said, okay, my daughter delayed me, blah, blah, blah. But that wasn't it. I was given the gift to see how I would react. And I did a great job. I, I, I mean, it wasn't, I can't say that it was fun, but it's like it was just, and I thought when you were saying about words, it was just traffic. Well, what does traffic mean? Well, at the time, we weren't going anywhere, right? <laughs> we were stopped or barely moving. Um, and I don't know. It's just kind of I can look at it now and say, okay, that was an experience. And that was like you were saying, okay, it was a reality at the moment, right? I mean, my reality was, okay, I'm sitting where I'm sitting and things I can do to be okay with it. Anyway, I can look at it now and say, okay, it was kind of fun. <laughs> right. And the more, the more we practice that, yeah. the more we can look at that in the moment. You know, it was traffic. What does that mean? Uh, here's, here's what flashed into my mind when you said that. What does that mean? It means you're not in a covered wagon trying to keep yeah, your family yeah. from freezing to death until you can get to the next outpost. I mean, the level at which our thought pattern has been constructed to be so limiting, to be so judgmental, it is mind-boggling when you think about it. If you stop and think about the fact that, you know, people complain about all the violence on the planet and all the people that are being killed and all the wars, is they, as they look back through recorded history and what used to happen when one village would attack another village because they wanted their cows or they wanted their, their land, yeah. more than half of the village that lost would be slaughtered. So it would be humans killing humans at a much higher percentage than the percentage, even though there's a lot of people that are dying in these wars and this senseless uh, violence, but it's a lot less than it was years ago percentage-wise. We are getting less and less destructive, even though we're getting told we're more and more destructive, etc. We're getting more and more higher quality of life for the vast majority of the population, even though we're constantly being told about our low quality of life and how others have it better. But the fact of the matter yeah. is the average person who lives in a dwelling on the North American continent today has a better quality of life than most kings and princes 
you know, a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, because they've got running water and indoor plumbing and heat and so you know please understand that's what these teachings are trying to help us understand so we can start questioning every assumption this traffic shouldn't be this way who what what kind of a limited mind am i possessing to say i shouldn't be in this traffic jam as I sit right. there in my automobile, whether all. it's gas, say again. Because it wouldn't have benefited me at all to uh, to think that way. <laughs> yeah, and and here I am sitting in the traffic, thinking this shouldn't be this way. But I'm sitting here in a car, whether it's gas or electric, yeah. whether it's 20 years old right. or five years old or brand new. I'm sitting here probably with plenty of access to what did you say your favorite music and you know we've got right. snacks and and cup holders and oh my gosh the level at which we are conditioned to ignore mm. all of the benefits of our existence is absolutely mind-boggling when you slow down and think about it and that's what these teachings are trying to help us do slow down and think about how <laughs> dramatically we've been conditioned to focus on the negative and to judge right, wrong, good, bad, up, down, and compare what we have to what we don't have and what we want to what we don't have and, and, and come up with this inner turbulence that's unpleasant, that's you know agitating, and it's all self-induced nonsense. My favorite acronym yeah. for that. S-I-N, self-induced nonsense. Right. right. And the, the term that you just used, the slowdown, you know, pun intended, the slowdown was that opportunity to look at things differently. Um, and so, you know, I have this big smile on my face now because it's like, that's perfect. I'll take that away. The slowdown was exactly meant to be. Because I got to slow down and observe, like you you talk about, you know, so much. When we slow down and observe the stuff around us and how, yeah, how grateful we are, definitely. Um, having been in Saudi for a while, a couple of years with my um, the kids' dad and family, we, you know, because they're living in tents, like some of the Bedouins still do. I mean, so, yeah, grateful. Anyway, thank you. That was that was great. Great to hear. I'm, I thank projecting. you for the call and for the thoughts. It is You're welcome um, and deserving. Thank you. As are you. I will uh, mute you here so you can listen into the second hour if you so decide. And um, I realize we've basically reached the end of our hour, even though I don't see uh, Michael or Jeannie here yet. But I will remind us all that we're going into the weekend, so there will not be a show tomorrow or Sunday. I invite you back on Monday, and I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I hope you have a a wonderful weekend, a great Easter. Thanks. Same to you. Have a great show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio, and today is what's referred to as Good Friday, 
It's April the 7th, 2023, and our calling number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. So, while we're waiting on Michael to get dialed in, um, I did see Susan's hand just went up, so I'm going to turn on her microphone. Welcome, Susan. Hey, Jeannie. Hey. I would. I am in need of a worksheet, and I wonder oh, if oh, oh. you want to do that. I am okay, absolutely. <laughs> so, Take a deep breath. Great. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Breathe deep. And Michael's dialing in, and Susan wants to do a worksheet, Michael. Do I hear a cat purring? Uh, Or it's a very loud little, size of a loud cat purr. Maybe I'll have to dial in again. I don't know whether it's you guys or me. So I'm going to hang up and dial right back in. Okay. Sounds good. We'll give just a minute for Susan to dial back in. And I hope everybody does have a good Easter. I was looking up uh, some of the history of where Easter came from. And it's, uh, it has, a, I'll read that here in a minute. But anyway, let's see if Susan's clearer. Michael's with us now. And Susan, let's try it again. Hi. Yeah, this seems better. Thanks. Welcome, young lady. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm not doing well, and I'm not getting very far with my, I did my mind shift. It was very easy. I felt it was entirely possible and good that I would, um, you know, stand my ground and feel that it's right, all that stuff. So I evidently didn't do a very good mind shifter. So... You had suggested that I draw a line and just say, look, look, uh, Jake, as long as this kind of snarkiness, I use the word snark because it's friendly, it's light. Yep. I say, you yes. know, if, if we, don't, we, we don't immediately give you money that you're asking for when we're already thoroughly supporting you and have guaranteed all the way through next year and you get nasty, snarky when we say well what about your job and uh we are trying it's sort of i use the analogy of we have a lot of seedlings in a sunroom and i said when the weather gets warm enough we put them out during the day and it's called hardening we bring them back in at night because it's a little too harsh out there for them so we're gently putting them out and putting them in until they're ready to be outside and we're trying to harden you by getting you on your own feet because you've expressed terrible fear about being able to support yourself. And you have said many times, I'm going to need to be taken care of. And our family policy for all the grandkids, and we've told them from the beginning, is once you finish college, if you've been lucky enough to be supported by us, you're on your own. You can get scholarships. You've got to get jobs. 
and he fights this, and he has a tremendous amount of fear about this. Right. So I, I've been writing him kindly emails on a text, and he he counters everything I say. You're attacking me. You're abusive. You're manipulating. You're controlling me. You're using money to control me. You promised. Now you're going back. You're liars. It's just endless. And I thought, well, I'm going to draw the line then. So I said, let's not talk with a foreseeable future. I'm in Al-Anon. You're doing the 12 steps. Let's really do those and see where we get. It's bombed. He put a very upsetting, this is where the rub is. He, he punishes us on Facebook. He doesn't mention us, but he says, I have decided, I can tell you what he said. Um, I wonder if I can find it. I can't even move my fingers right. I'm so agitated about this. Um, The last thing he posted was how he is no longer going to put up with manipulative, nasty people. And thoughts for the day, I relinquish myself from the desire to control what others think, what others say, and what others do. It is not my responsibility to heal those who refuse to be healed. So it's all on us again. And I'm finding myself really just going under for the count. Uh, and I think Sounds like you've set yourself up for a crucifixion. What a perfect day. Yeah, it is a perfect day. <laughs> right. So I started a worksheet, and, of course, I got a lot of feelings, like anger, frustration. Name my object, Jacob. These only hateful motives in Tim and me. Uh, what is my... What is my fear? That he won't make it in in life. That's one fear. And that we are permanently and forever wrong in his eyes, which seems global to me. And then I want to punish him by showing him what he's doing, which would be terrible punishment if he really understood it. And I want to punish myself by believing him and feeling as if I just don't know how to love him the right way. That's as far as I've gotten. I want, Jake, a goal. My constructive exact goal is I want Jake to learn to be kind and loving in order to get along in life. But, you know, I'm all over the place, Michael. Well, you've got about probably at least five worksheets there, and I I don't think you really want him to learn to be, pardon me, to learn to be. I think you want him to be loving and caring with you. Yeah. It makes it more immediate. If I put it off into the future, like I want him to learn it, it's not as immediate. And it's, I think it'll bring it a little closer to home. It's like, I want him to be decent with me. Yeah. I want him to take care of I who support him. Right. And it sounds like he's an expert at drawing out every guilty thought you hold. Mm-hmm. And bringing up the parts of you that think you're responsible for the suffering of the world. And that's a big piece of healing. 
you know, when I think back over the years of the number of different issues that you've talked about and you really, your, your, your mind is telling you you're feeling bad because of the plastic or because of this or because of that. And, of course, your mind's feeling badly because there are thoughts in there that are thought disorders that resonate badness. Mm-hmm. So what's the goal then? Uh, how would you word the goal? God, I've got a ton of them. That's the trouble. Okay. I want so you want to just to do like one at a time? Okay. I want Jake to like us, Mm -hmm. um, to think well of us, to appreciate us. Yeah. Not to see manipulativeness and nastiness, even though we're giving him money that he really has no particular right to. It's a gift. That's one goal. That's not one of the things you've. You know, one of the things that you've uh, worked on over the years many times is how it comes back inside of you and the work that you need to do. And it sounds like maybe there's a bit of grief involved in this whole scenario. And I think it might be time to reverse that somewhat and recognize that what he's bringing up in your face is about him. It's not about you. Yeah, I and that he's on a trail and a track of just manipulative and nasty, which mm-hmm. you know nobody wants to see anybody on that track. That's yeah. why in the AA movement, people have to be held accountable, no matter what the cost, because the longer they stay in their disease, the more until they can face it and start to move. And at this point, I think you're tipping a little too far in the arena of responsibility. And I certainly can understand the grief at watching your own flesh and blood go that far down the tube. You said yesterday that it would be the reasonable thing to step back, even if it meant he took his own life, which I'm not sure he's ready to do. And thank goodness. So that means we have some time. Well, I'm, Hold on a second. I want to be clear about that. I wasn't saying even if he did. That wasn't wasn't what I was offering. What I was offering yesterday is that with the languaging he's used to hold him accountable, that's a risk you're taking. I'm not putting anything in the arena of, you know, do this even if he does. That's not my thinking at all. Just I just because I've worked before in the arena where someone's been threatening that and has followed through. So just to be aware, there's a risk of that. And mm-hmm. to, you know, you're going to have to determine how far you're willing to go. You know, his own mother and father have washed their hands of him because they're not willing to go along that road. And you've, I mean, you've gone so far above and beyond to try and pull him out of this. 
Tim Hayes suggested going back to doing the gentle art of blessing, and that's been very helpful. Just to disconnect, keep up the gentle art of blessing. That I can do. And I'm just reminded of it. Again, I was doing it while I was walking this morning, but I lapsed back. Uh, For instance, I told him yesterday, no more communicating now. I've been the one person. He he might talk to me for two and a half hours, and I'm thinking, why is he talking to his grandmother for two and a half hours? Where are his friends? Where are his colleagues? Where are his gigs in school? Why isn't he getting parts for shows? He's not, and he's good, and he doesn't understand why. And he said one day, he said, maybe it's because I get kind of weird in class, which may mean he's getting snarky attacking uh he does go off on tangents and things and kind of frightens people and i said to him well maybe that's a good thing to look at maybe that is the reason and can you put that under some scrutiny and not do that and he said yeah this is a reasonable talk he and i had but then that reasoning in him we'll have great talks and i'll think oh he's getting better it's good but then he'll want, it's always money. He's so frightened about his future. He'll want money. And I've been told by his mother, you cannot keep feeding this. You've got to help him get pardoned. I don't want you giving him money for anything. If anything, I will give him money. It'll be my decision. And I've agreed to that. So I say, Jake, I'm not in charge of the money anymore. Talk to your mom. Well, he's been blocked from his mom. So I get this. He's going to have to be responsible to get to talk to his mom. Yeah. And you're a pathway to him not having to be responsible if he can manipulate you into providing what he wants. Yeah. Well, I said yesterday, so we're not going to talk for a while. But what did I do today? I wrote him a long text and I said Jacob it would have been so easy and you're so smart all you need to do is learn respect to honor the people who are loving you recognize that they're loving you and ask in a kindly way and explain your needs you might get better results it's very simple and he said I was um, he used a word like deflecting something like I I was using some technique to take him off the track and I got into this complete tizzy. Like, I don't know how to reach him. I can't reach him. So I feel as if it's There's hopeless. the goal. There's it. the goal. Yeah. That's the worksheet okay. on Susan. And there's the goal. I want to reach him. Okay. That's the core piece. Uh-huh. So I'd start a new worksheet with Susan All right. as the object. So in one C, I'd put your name. Okay. 1A, I, Susan, who am love, am yeah. feeling. And it sounds like the, the major energy around this particular goal is fear. Yeah. Would that be it? Look, there are so many You want feelings. to reach him and fear that you're going to fail or, or fear that you have failed. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, so I'm focused I'm, on Sue now, and not in one yeah. A, one C. I'm focused on me. One C would be Susan. Yes, 
This All is right. the goal that That's you totally have. All right. Yeah. Okay. See, here, here's my offering. He knows your chains and buttons, and he can pull them at will. Mm-hmm. If there are no chains and buttons there, then there's nothing for him to pull. Yeah. Everybody else, it sounds like literally everybody else, he's pulled and chained and cha- pulled and pulled and pulled and pushed until they've all just said, no more. They have no idea how yeah. to get rid of those buttons. But this one is the one that he grabs inside of you. So the Susan would be 1C, and the situation is, I don't know how to reach him. Okay. I don't know how to fix him. You know, maybe they're kind okay. of one and the same, or maybe they're slightly different. Yeah. And then the second part, so that I, so if you're to say, I really want to reach Jake and have him living a healthy, happy life so that I can relax, (laughs) can go back to my life in peace. So you can let go, yeah. Okay, good. So the unfortunate truth is he perhaps at this point isn't reachable. That's what it feels like. And you're torturing yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're taking responsibility for that and torturing yourself. So what are the symptoms of healing going to look like? Is Is there anybody else in your world that you can remember wanting to rescue them? Oh, sure. That's a common theme. Okay. So you you keep creating circumstances to bring that lesson forward, it sounds like. Yeah. For you to learn. Yeah, and there's a wrinkle in there. Because if I can't help them or save them, I'm I'm a bad person. Yeah. Need breathing? Yeah. Mm-mm. No, I am, yeah. So it sounds like there are several conclusions, several thought disorders yeah. that perhaps were fed to you by a power person that if I can't save him, if I can't accomplish this, do you, can you remember ever needing to accomplish something that your power person wanted you to accomplish and than being brutalized because you couldn't or didn't? No. It, no. Uh, we had a one one weird dynamic in my house, and you know about that. But other than that, it was a fairly normal, I think, household. And I got praised for accomplishing things. So that doesn't fit, but I'm, I know you're hovering around what it is. I remember, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but I went to a retreat, a psychotherapy retreat, when I was in training as a transactional analysis, I was learning transactional analysis and gestalt 
therapies in a center right. in Connecticut. And we were in a big circle. And there was something going on where when it came my turn, I felt as if my biggest wish in my whole life was to have the leader of the group like me. I want you to like me, I remember saying to her. And sure that she wouldn't. And somehow I realized that that I was begging my mother for her to like me. And I'm thinking now that this is, it's so devastating to think that Jacob would think ill of me and not like me. And and then he goes and publishes stuff. He doesn't name us, but I, I take the beating, you know. Oh, that's a good word. Right. So anyway, that's where it hitches in, I think. I hold so notice that he keeps rapid. hitting. He, he, yeah, he yeah. keeps hitting right on your core issue. Yeah, he does. So then, so here's a hydra. So I'd have. A, have you got a blank worksheet there? Uh, yeah, I can get another one. I got a whole pile in front of me. Okay. Well, maybe we'll come up All with right. a pile. So why don't you grab the whole thing? Okay. All right. I've got two of one kind and two of another, but go ahead and I can find okay. the ones that audible on them one. So then one C would be once again Susan. Okay. And that the the goal that I'm hearing and you know, see if this fits is that I can be approved of so I can be safe or I can let go. I can relax. I, I can I can step out of hypervigilance. Sounds like around him yeah. with the number of blows that comes that you become hypervigilant. And I think that relates to what you were talking earlier about the one challenge there was in your home was you had to be hypervigilant to be safe. Yeah. And no child should have to be hypervigilant. Let's just breathe into that for a minute and start that next worksheet. All right. The thing that's amazing is I live with this guy, Tim Bingham, and I say, Tim, have you read, because I printed out Jacob's latest text I read. I brought him into Tim. Have you looked at him? Yeah, I sort of scanned him. What do you think? Well, he's he's scared, you know. He's, He's acting out. I said, how do you feel about that? And he said, well, he's just, that's what he's doing. He said, I don't, I'm just waiting for it to settle down. It's not bothering me. I mean, I'm sorry he's doing it, but he's completely detached. And I think, holy mackerel, how do you do that? So anyway, that's, I'm getting a good view of a person who's normal, <laughs> I think. I think Tim is normal. Mm-hmm. Right. But he also says, when he's talking to us this way, I'm not about to give him any extra money. Believe me, I'm not doing that. So he's not enabling and he's normal. He's detached. So I've got a vision of that. So if you were to, I think here's our next um, Hydra. 
So if you okay. were to look at the situations in your life where you had to be hypervigilant. Okay. So one C on that worksheet would, she would be fear, and the thought would be, I have to be hypervigilant to be safe. Who would be number one C in that scenario? I mean, is it mom, is it dad, is it big brother, big sister, first guy you dated, school teacher? Who would who would fit in that one C blank? And if, if there's more than one name, then I'd list them all out, and they'd each be separate worksheets. I have a question for you about the hypervision. Yes, sir. I, I can't even fit that into my household scene because my sister and I wanted my mother's attention. And the way we would get it is to fight right under her nose until she whipped us. That doesn't look, look like hypervigilant to me. It looks like stupid it, or desperate. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't fearing my mother because she might fly off the handle, although there were times when she did when she was just particularly sensitive. I poked her once on Christmas morning to get her attention, tried to tickle her, and wow, she hit the roof. Um, and that was a surprise. So that might have taught me to be hypervigilant, but I don't think my sister and I were hypervigilant. We were asking for it. We walked right into it. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you're chuckling, but that's what we would do, and that's what we would get. And evidently, that was better than nothing. It was horrible, but it was better than nothing. What is that? Okay. Okay. Well, let's do the get the next worksheet. Okay. Got it. And the object of attention is mom. Okay. And I want her attention. And okay. isn't that kind of what Jacob's doing? Um, He's running under your nose, begging for attention. His mother's cut him off for attention. His father, his brother. Oh, my God. That does ring a bell. You know what? That is so true. You're on to something. Michael sent me, not Michael. I'm thinking Michael downstairs. Uh, Jake sent me probably six photographs of himself in various states of looking like a panhandler, you know, half a beard growing, circles under his eyes, not well, too thin. Uh, And he said, this is me three months ago and this is me now. Can't you see that I'm not using, there's no evidence in those pictures, except that he didn't have a puffed up face the way alcoholics might. He's probably just using weed if he's using it all. And I looked at them and I said, I don't know what to make of these pictures. You don't look healthy, but you're very handsome. And I'm hoping you'll take good care of yourself to get your health back, whatever that is. And two days later, he said, have you sent those pictures to my mom? 
I said, no, you didn't want me to. I mm. didn't occur to me. And I and he's not talking to her. She's not talking to him. And right. so I said I would, and I made screenshots, and they're still sitting on my computer because it's Holy Week. This is the busiest priest in the world right now. I'm not sending her right. those pictures until after Easter is over. Then I'll send them if I so, send them at all. Yeah, so... So my question would be... Uh, you're taking responsibility for what he wants and you know kind of sneaking around your daughter having put up a perfect protective shield for herself and for me that would be a violation of your daughter's privacy I did I didn't get that at all say again Michael well Jacob has so racked his mom that his mom says we're not communicating yeah so now he's pulling your chain to go around her choice to protect herself mm-hmm. and use you yeah. to pull her chain again and my take so would be that would be mean. a violation yes oh, I, I would God, be if I good. were you in that situation I'd be saying to Jake you know if you want to get your mom you need to do it I've changed my mind it's not my place to do it your mother's made choices uh, to have a certain style of communication with you and I don't want to violate that but he's using you to violate that's that would okay. be my take that's how I would see it okay that makes total sense and I'm relieved because I don't want to send them to her however what I have been doing is she wants news about Jacob and she asks me have you talked to Jacob and I'll say yes and then I'll say it's not going well he's doing his snarks I don't go into detail but I tell her that and I'm wondering if even that is violating her uh, I, I, well I think I I think I'd say the same thing to her as you're saying to Jake you know you set the rules and you don't want communication from him so you're now, you know, using me to communicate with him. And I think you yeah, need to, if you want information about him from him, then you need to go to him. Because okay. then you're, you, it's enabling, for, on both sides, it would be enabling um, to be the, the go-between. When... Yeah. Okay. So no more reporting. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's that's yeah. one. I mean, there are certainly other perspectives. I'm just saying it looks like, you know, you're perhaps being in the middle and being manipulated by from both ends. She just wants to know if he's safe. And yeah. that's a matter of what, what level you're talking about. He's certainly physically safe at the moment. He's at school. He's yeah. doing well in his courses. Uh, but she needs to communicate with him if she wants to know of his state of mind and safety and and that's you know perhaps you know I don't know what tools she has but with the tools she has that just might be too much because he's a tough case and maybe the reason one of the reasons he's become a tough case is this is his cry for her attention and Mm -hmm. so he'll beat and abuse you to get you to the point where you'll cry to her and get get her attention for him Mm. And in the meantime, it's like you're the, you're the rope in tug of war. 
tough to be the, you know, I've never thought of it before, but the rope's got a tough play in tug of war. Yeah. A lot of stress on it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of stress. Yeah. yeah. Being pulled in two directions or more. Well, the best I've done for Jacob is to tell him, and this is your teaching, I said, I will never stop loving you. I will love you forever. I love you unconditionally, and I'm always here, but we can't talk now. And, you know, until some things change, and, of course, he thinks I'm the one that's got to change, and that's part of my frustration is I'm thinking he's got to change, but I guess I really do have to change. I really have to, on some level, not care anymore. Well, I don't, no, I, I don't think it's a matter of not caring. You can care. You just need to see when you're being played and say, I'm not playing the game. I'm going to step out of the game. I'm here to care for you. You ever, ever want to have a loving, caring conversation? I'm here. Let's get on the phone. But if what you mm-hmm. want to do is manipulate me and beat on me, no thank you. And if you want to beat on me so that I'll go to your mom, no thank you. I'm not playing those roles. So I don't think that you have to yield one bit of caring to do that, but you do have to be willing to take care of yourself. Well, you know, so often and lately I've had good discussions with Jacob, and then they get they turn bad because he wants money, and we have a rather tough stand at the moment about that. And then they get ugly, and I think, is this forever? Now maybe, are you saying that if, if we talk civilly, we can talk tomorrow, but it has to stay within certain kinds of decency and respect. Um, I think that's a reasonable request of, to make of a young man whose bills you're paying. Yeah. And, mm. you know, of course, the invitation continuously there to be able to look at, Jacob, What's going on in your mind that you can even think of talking to me? I'm your grandmother. What's going on in your mind that you can even think of talking to me like that? Oh, he he has answered. And basically, in his criticisms of you, he's telling you about his mind. I know. All the things he says to you, he's telling you about what's going on in his life. And unfortunately, you can't change that. You can create the space and invite him into it, but you can't change his mind for him. And no. if you take that responsibility, you're going down a path of self-destruction. If you try to take that that's, responsibility. Yeah, okay, that's right on. That's, because I can't change his mind. I can't turn him around. I wish I could hold a mirror up and say, who are you talking about here? But he won't do it. And I try different ways. That's what keeps me in this loop. I keep trying this and that and the other, hoping something will break through and he'll say, oh, my God, yeah, you're right. That's not happening and it's probably not going to happen. It may take years. It may never happen. And especially if he's using... Well, as you said yesterday, he's acting like a drunk. Whether drinking or not, it doesn't really matter. He's right. acting like a drunk who hasn't done his work, and that is so true. From the first step, I realized I was helpless. He hasn't done that step yet. Right. 
What does it take? Okay. Well, according to most of the AA philosophy, at least that I'm aware of, the people who've spent decades working with people in this position, it takes some hitting bottom. And the yeah, toughest thing he, for anybody yeah. who's watching to do that, because mm-hmm. the bottom can be deadly, is to watch somebody yeah. hit bottom and, and not have to reach in and rescue, because rescue is just the next level of you know prevention of healing. Yeah. Well, after yesterday and my relapsing and getting in touch with him, I thought, I've got to get strong enough to let him do that. Right now, I don't feel strong enough. I I feel as if I would just break all the rules and run in again and buy time, make it happen later. That's the hope of the enabler. Maybe if I just do this one more time, then maybe it will work. Exactly. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay. And certainly if there's anybody that's listening that's experienced in the arena of alcohol and drug abuse... If, you, if anyone has anything to share, then please feel free to press one in. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, it's that part of your wake-up sheet where you say, and prevent me from making up another story so that I can start this cycle over again, rather than doing right. the work and getting out of the cycle. Right. This is, I'm making up other stories. Well, I think you've got three really good worksheets to go ahead and walk through that look at different aspects. You know, when you realize that in order for your mind to produce this whole, you know, you've heard me talk before on the show about, gee, you know, we open our eyes, we look at the room, and we know it's the brain that's producing this highly detailed ornamental light and this cell phone sitting over here and this television over there and this piece of art. I mean, what what all comes into play from the unconscious in order for the brain to produce that detailed an image? Mm-hmm. What all comes into play in your mind to produce the kind of detail that it takes to have you so wrought with fear and guilt and desire to fix this that you can't step aside from it. And they're the underlying energetic patterns that in order for you to get free of what's going on for you, you're going to have to forgive. And I think those three worksheets we just got started on are going to take you right into the core of it. And two hands went up, so I'm not sure if they have a comment for Susan or not. Is that okay with you, Susan? Oh, sure. In fact, if they have another thing to talk about, I'm good. I'm ready to go. No, they may have something to say to you, so stay there. Okay, I'm staying, but... Okay. All right. First one is 760. Uh, Ann, you're on the air. Yes, it is me. And Susan, you must stay there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's my goal. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
Um, so as I'm listening, what I picked up was the detachment that is so profound that Tim Bingham has. So I went to my Al-Anon book. That is, you may or may not have one of these. I would encourage you to pick up one. It's called One Day at a, one day at a Time in Al-Anon. If you, mm-hmm. look in the, in, if you look in the index, under mm-hmm. detachment, there is 22 pages on detachment. I would encourage you to read every single one of them, and I'm only going to read one of the three that I have circled. But okay. they all, in some way, would, a, would apply, right? Okay, this is how it goes. Detach with an exclamation mark. We are told in Al-Anon, this does not mean detaching ourselves and our love and compassion from the alcoholic or put Jacob's name in there, from Jacob. Detachment in the Al-Anon sense means to realize we are individuals. We are not bound morally to shoulder the Jacob's responsibilities. I'm just going to put his name in there. Detachment from the problems caused by compulsive blank shows us the futility of covering up for the for Jacob. Keeping up a brave front, being ashamed or apologetic for situations not of our making. Once we can hold back from such complete involvement, we will have a new sense of freedom and strength. And that's what I just heard Michael say. Yes. And I've been breathing as I'm reading that. And then it goes on to the today's reminder. And then, you know, the um, the scripture from 1 Corinthians. That is a super page. And I hear that that's what Tim is doing. He's got that. So you will have new sense of freedom and strength. I support you in that. I support you getting all those pages and see which ones apply. Some of those 22 pages may apply more than others. Another helpful thing in that um, index is helping the alcoholic. Well, clearly we know what kind of things are we going to need to do to help. And then the next one underneath helping the alcoholic is called honesty with self, which I hear that Michael's guiding you to those wake-up sheets. Yeah. To be honest with self. Okay. That's my offering with love. Thank you. Sweet. you have you come out of your traffic jam? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm loving I'm loving it was a great experience. So I know you can do that same thing with this once you get a handle on detachment. Mm-hmm. And I had to do that with, with my husband as well. He was a recovering alcoholic, but I still had to do it. And sometimes I would totally detach and that was not the thing to do. Because I was wrong about the definition of a detachment. But what you just described what Tim did, your Tim, I had a Tim too, mm-hmm. um, he is able to do that with love mm-hmm. and with compassion. And so but Jacob I, knows I how to grab. To yes. Jacob knows how right. to grab grandma's Jacob. chain. Yes, absolutely. And you have to, and I've listened over and over to the stories, you know, in groups, the ones that get the freedom and the strength are the ones that say, no more. And you've said no more, but you still have conditions. 
So when you let go, anyway, but that's what you have to do, not me. <laughs> but I can hold that space for you, most assuredly. Thanks. We each yeah. are. Absolutely. I need yes, the catalytic. Need reinforcement. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yes. And those pages, those other 21 pages, or the rest of that page, um, you know, and the one, I, the one I highlighted in the Today's Reminder part of that page was detachment is essential to any healthy relationship between people. Mm-hmm. Each of us is a free individual with neither one in control of the other. And like Michael says, he kind of has you in control. So he can you. Okay, Michael, you love it. Thank you. We got awesome her. Input. We got her down. <laughs> all right. Blessings, love. We're all heading in the right direction. Yes. Amen. Shalom, shalom. Shalom. We have another another hand. I believe this is Celinda, 501. You're on the air. <laughs> yes, it is I. <laughs> um, as I've been listening to this, I've been reflecting on the... Um, broken relationship between me and my daughter of four years. And one of the things um, I have learned as a result of that doing worksheets and by the blessing of Magda who added to be that second part to the goal of to be safe or whatever is that my any of my negative issues are basically around being safe because I too was hypervigilant, um, had to be hypervigilant with my power person in order to feel or be safe. Um, and what I realized by reflecting on my worksheet is that when I'm in a negative state and I get a goal that's accurate, what always the little tag on the end is so I can be safe or loved or any other other positive emotions, which in my CBM mind are equivalent to being safe. And so one of the things that I'm learning is that if I want to be safe, If I truly desire to be safe, I'm going to have to let go of my outcome, which is what the goal is. The outcome is what I want to happen or have it my way or be in charge. And so I have this little image that I uh, fell into when I was actively practicing Al-Anon of where I had this image of me on stage with a little flashlight flashing on the crown of my head as I sang my little victim woe is me song because things weren't coming out my way. So I would like to share that with um, Susan because there's so much of what resonates um, with her that I have either am or have been experiencing in my life and if that if that fits if that resonates for her then I offer it with my blessing there was also a 12 step 
uh, bookmark, which I would love to find and that I can't find anymore. It might have been AA. It might have been something else. Um, that the only expression I remember on it was about, and maybe it was about detachment, it was said, neither condemning, neither condoning nor condemning. And it just strikes me as that middle path again. I'm still trying to, doing my best to stay in the middle path with my daughter's uh, continued lack of response. I have come to a piece about I may never have a relationship with her again. Uh, And I really thank you, Michael, for uh, mentioning don't be the go-between, don't be the rope between a tug in a tug-of-war, and don't make anybody else the rope in a tug-of-war. And so I will look at that more carefully because I feel really comfortable with what, uh, how I'm responding to the situation, and yet at the same time I realize that there are areas that are weak that I have not strengthened myself in, and so I will look at those more carefully and make sure that I make neither my grandson or my son or um, my little brother-in-law from my first marriage, who's her uncle, um, I make sure that I don't make any of them my my tug-of-war rope or my translator. Yeah, and we hold the space. We hold the space yeah. for you to hit on the piece of work that uh, that you need to do that changes the unconscious communication with your granddaughter, and right. the same for you, Susan. That changes the unconscious communication both with your daughter and with Jacob. And I have some thoughts too about what this be, to be safe is connected to. To be liked or loved is to be safe. To fix is be safe. To be safe. To be responsible or sacrifice myself for everyone uh, and the whole world is to be safe. And in all of those states are a state of hypervigilance, and they're all distinctly part of the outcomes, the way I want life to be. And so that's a whole new learning curve for me. And actually, it's like surfing a wave. I'm pretty excited about the whole thing. It's, oh, it's literally psychological survival. Right, exactly. And negative attention is better than no attention at all. This has been shown yes. in the research forever and ever in the psychological research. And if we cannot get positive attention, we will automatically go for negative attention because our survival depends on it. And when you look at the common reality, there's been research also that really tugged at me, uh, psychological research, that people will probably give 10 times the negative reaction or response to someone. Ask, um, oh, if, if, if attention is not asked for, uh, it'll be almost always negative attention that they receive. If attention is asked for, um, there, we're lucky if we receive it 50% of the time. That's not real good odds. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad I listened, was able to listen in today. Sweet. And, and Any I thoughts for you, Susan? 
Well, uh, the business of Belinda with your daughter, I was estranged for 25 years from my daughter. She called once a week dutifully, so it wasn't like she was just afraid to be caught calling us because her husband didn't like us and wanted to keep us apart from him. But And that was awful. But for you to not be in touch with your daughter, I just feel for you. I'm just so sorry this is going on. I'm at peace about I'm at peace about that, Susan. It's not That's yours amazing. to carry. It's not <laughs> yours to carry. It's mine to carry or drop as I like. Yeah. And um so and I have come to peace that I may never have a relationship with her. I have one more question for you, Michael. If she doesn't want me to respond to her, um the only thing I can um I have been sending Easter cards to Michael and including her in my blessing, but the card is to him. Um, And I have been sending her a birthday card. Now, what I'm asking myself in light of this conversation, am I violating? Um, The only way I know to find that out, uh, because she doesn't respond to me, is to ask Michael, if he can give me a little feedback on her response to getting a birthday card. So I can well, know. pretty much be the same thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's why I'm trying to get a little clarity from you for that. Because I don't want to use well, anybody. But well, it, I we, was wondering, would... I don't know if she honors that allows that and is comfortable with that or if I'm violating so I, I maybe I need to just go within and ask um, go within and ask and ask now, her and ask her directly I don't get a response that means that she doesn't want it okay so good that's good I could just email her and ask her yeah yeah not Thank getting you. a response is, is a response Right, right. And and you have every right as her mother to continue to communicate with her and let her know that you cherish her, you're in process, and you're going to communicate with her forever. That's just the way it is. And what she chooses to do with it is I up mean, to her, but that, that you're there. Right. Now, am I telling her this or am I just inferring this by the fact that I send a birthday card to her and a Christmas card to Michael. You know, I send them because he's family, so I send a Christmas card. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll I'll ask. I'll go within and ask. But I think we'll that's hold the great. space. Yeah, I think that's great that you said I could ask her directly because I could. Yeah. All right. Yes. Very good. Thank you. And I, and I, I would, yeah, I would put into that equation that you also communicate that it is your desire to continue to communicate with her. Yes, and express she is my your, firstborn. How deeply you cherish her. Right, she is my fir- firstborn. It doesn't mean she's more precious yeah. than my secondborn. It just means, hey, she popped out of my body. Yeah, she's that's very huge. Special. Yeah, it is huge. Yeah. <laughs> 
Thank you, and hope I hope. Well, uh, thank you, Susan, because that because what you have shared has been has is really helpful for me. The the work is never finished. And remember uh, from the healing that. through relationships workshop. Right. Excuse me. Go ahead, Susan. No, I was just saying. Tell me about it. <laughs> the work is never yeah, done. It's never oh, done. It yeah. to be that way. But work's not a four-letter word. That's what you told me, Michael. <laughs> there you go. So, so remember from the healing through relationships workshop. One of the definitions of children is our unconscious mind hang out in true living color and Dolby sound, and everything that we've never wanted to deal with seeing as how they're made of the same genetics we are, they're going to play out. And as we resolve what's moving in us, the external circumstances will tend to resolve. Amen. Wow. Which is what, which is what this one parenting book I, I cherish says, although it's the process of getting that information to embed itself in our cellular structure is called whole parent, whole child. So I offer that. I don't remember the author, but it's a, cool. it's a beautiful piece of work, beautiful piece of work, whole parent, whole nice. child. You can get it on aid books or something. Yeah, it's probably nothing. And Holding you in wholeness. Uh, Thank you. I am complete. I appreciate and am grateful for your journey, Susan, because we are soul sisters journeying along on similar paths, and um, that's how we embrace and and, uh, learn from each other. And thank you, Michael, for your comments. And Jeannie, love you. (laughs) All right. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> I'm complete. All righty. Take care. We're down to a minute and a half. That so, Ms. Susan, how are you helpful, doing? Michael. I'm doing much better, and I have my walking shoes or whatever. My walking papers or <laughs> whatever you call it. I've got my worksheets to do. Thank you something to hold on to and a path to take. I was just not doing very well. Thanks a lot. Well, you might have just given yourself a good piece of information, and that is you might just want to go ahead and put on your walking shoes and go out and walk and breathe and let some energy mm-hmm. move physically. Yeah. Okay, I can do that too. Yeah. All right, dear oh, heart, we're holding okay. the space. We cherish you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Jeannie, too. How are you doing, Jeannie? We're doing good. Doing good. Thanks. Good. We've got Aria all day today. She's on spring break. So. Right. We're blessed. <laughs> That's a lot of Jeannie went Easter egg hunking with her this morning. That's, wow. Okay. Good Friday hasn't even finished. Boy, you're jumping the gun. It's a place down uh, on the other side of town. It's a children's playground, an indoor playground. And so they opened it at 10 o'clock this morning for Easter egg hunting. That's great. That's great. I love it. Okay, thank you so much, you guys. 
All right, everybody, thank you for joining us and have the best year yet of your eternal life. And remember that this is the, uh, the time where there's a lot of energy available if you choose to use it consciously for resurrection, for raising from the ancient non-being self into the truth of who we are as the presence of love. Holding the space for everyone to do that. And blessings. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.